fundraising in challenging times. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by Dr. Amir Pasek, our dean at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, in which resides the fundraising school. And Dr. Pasek is the author of Chapter 7 of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, edition number 5, which was published in 2022, Fundraising in Challenging Times. And Dean Pasek, thanks so much for being back with us on the Fundraising School's podcast. And Early on, right away in this chapter, you make the point that we're always fundraising in challenging times, that challenging times are never too far away from fundraising practice. Can you help our audience understand that, please? Sure. I think it's a, it's a matter of degree. There is always some issue or problem that we are trying to solve through our fundraising. And so there's always some kind of a immediate crisis. We have colleagues who are constantly supporting uh, earthquake victims or natural disaster victims or war victims. And those are ongoing crises that are kind of periodic and always with us. But then there's also those slow moving crises in our society ranging from, uh, from poverty to racism to other ongoing issues that philanthropy is there to help alleviate. So there's always a, some level of crisis going on that we are there to try to fix. And this book was being written and published amidst the COVID-19 health pandemic, as well as the reawakening of racial reckoning type issues. And you've touched on those two topics in your chapter, and those topics are infused within all 39 chapters of this book. And, and Amir, you give us a, kind of three handles to hang on to, purpose, power, and perspective. How can fundraisers use those approaches when they're fundraising in challenging times? Yeah, so just to our initial comments, you know, there are crises and then there are crises. There are some crises that are unexpected and so profound, like the pandemic was, and then the uh, racial reckoning that it uh, unleashed and our greater consciousness of social inequalities more generally, given the pandemic's kind of disparate impact on different kinds of populations. Uh, but I was thinking that purpose reminds us why we're there. So when things seem up in the air and 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 uh, uncertain and uh, confusing, and there's a lot of pressures. Going back to basics and trying to remind ourselves, why are we here? What is our purpose in terms of the cause or the organization that we are serving? And what is our purpose as a profession, as a professional in the fundraising space? And that should be really one way of trying to grind, ground ourselves and give ourselves some stability so that we can do our work by remind, reminding ourselves, what is our purpose? And you also talk about how fundraisers do have power and how they need to utilize that power, especially within some of the leadership literature. Power is not typically addressed ever, let alone in terms of talking about challenging times. How should fundraisers be thinking about power in challenging time fundraising? Yeah, I think so. Um, as, as you know, I'll build uh, the, the chapter came out of a conversations we had in the course that I taught during the pandemic on um, philanthropy in times of crisis. And in our class, we read a lot about the relatively new or resurgent movement in community-based fundraising, where people started becoming much more conscious of the role fundraisers play in mediating or uh, responding to or being part of the power imbalances in our society. And so that was one aspect of power that we were looking at is people questioning, you know, do fundraisers who are donor centric by responding somewhat uh, not critically enough to their role in serving the wealthier people in our society as donors and trying to make sure that they're satisfied with 
their connections to the causes that we seek to advance? Are we kind of perpetuating their status? But beyond that, kind of being critical about the role of power in our society and being much more open to it, sometimes we don't like to speak about power in private, in, in, in polite society, so to speak. We realize that we, we as fundraisers and we as humans always have some level of power that we can exercise not necessarily to get over on other people or dominate them, but if we want to get things done, we need to exercise power in some way. So trying to be conscious about, you know, what kind of power do I have? Not that you want to necessarily exercise it kind of behind the scenes, kind of nefariously um, as kind of the, the, the bad guy in the movie, but realizing that you have some agency in the world and some power and being conscious about how you want to deploy that. Um, and also realizing that there's ways you can choose not to deploy it. So, you know, being very conscious about the power you have as a professional is a um, is is a, is a powerful a tool to be reminded of. And all leaders do have power. All fundraisers do have power. The issue isn't whether or not you have power; it's how you utilize that power uh, and utilizing it well uh, throughout your fundraising and especially in service to uh, everyone in our our community. We talked about purpose. We talked about power. There's also perspective. What is the fundraiser's perspective when fundraising in challenging times? Well, so when we were talking about power, you know, one of the great sources of power that we don't talk about as much as for fundraisers is that they have the, the power to generate perspective on a crisis, uh, regardless if it's the depth of a pandemic uh, with all the social reckoning that came with it, or if it's simply just a perspective on the cause in normal times that they seek to explain to uh, their, their donors and the colleagues that they work with. So kind of the knowledge work that fundraisers do in synthesizing the situation and how it fits into the cause that they are trying to advance and then how that fits into the relationship that they're trying to build with their donors. Interpreting that uh, is, is a great power that fundraisers have. And we looked at some of the literature that showed how successful fundraisers are really uh, adept at both synthesizing you know, what do social situations mean that we find ourselves in, helping people understand their relationships to the organizations or the causes that they seek to advance, but also to synthesize kind of what experts are saying, what your leadership is saying, what the uh, donors are feeling, and, and, and just both kind of socially, emotionally, and, and intellectually synthesizing all of these things in a way that is uh, approachable, digestible. So it's, it's, it's that generating perspective that you know, we were discussing how much power that gives uh, and positive social power, how, that, how much power that gives fundraisers to, to deploy by generating that perspective for their organizations, for themselves and for the donors that they engage. And fundraisers are uniquely situated. They're certainly in those internal meetings with the nonprofit organization, learning the latest details about the crisis and how the nonprofit is responding. And they're often the most forward-facing, public-facing, public-engaging of the team members of the nonprofit organization. Uh, not, not solely, but playing a large role there that can help the community understand what's happening with the crisis, how we can all work together and how the nonprofit itself is responding. And, you know, Dean Pasek, it's very interesting when the crisis hits, whether that crisis is local, national, around the world, it can be easy to just kind of circle the wagons, be concerned, fearful and anxious, certainly for our own lives and our own households, but then also about our nonprofit organization. Interestingly, you point out there's somewhat of this paradox that actually when a crisis happens, people often draw together in stronger community, and that can help fundraising. Can you unpack that for us, please? 
Sure. I think, uh, you know, th there is that human uh, uh, instinct to try to, you know, avoid making decisions because there's just so much confusion happening. You know, let's just hunker down and, and see what you know, the expert will say tomorrow or the day after or next week. But, you know, that's that's a mistake, probably, because you as a leader uh, or somebody supporting the leader of an organization really need to respond and, and move with some urgency. And the way to do that is to be open and realize that mistakes will be made and that there's a lot of reinterpretation that's going to have to happen on the fly so that, you know, yesterday's strategic plan and the um, the, the guidances that we said would, you know, guide us for the five years to come may not be something that we can hold on to and say, we're going to keep doing this. We just have to be open, engage our community in ongoing communications, asking everybody to contribute in terms of what they know is going on and give suggestions. So it leads to kind of an opening uh, if, if, if we're responding, I think, properly to the situation. And that creates kind of a, a thicker, more meaningful community in the workplace and with your donors, rather than expecting kind of the traditional sources of authority to be the first and final um, pronouncement on what's going on in the world. So it does kind of create this community of understanding, the com this community perspective, the leader realizing that they don't have all the answers, but that they are a locus where a lot of this these different perspectives will come together. And so the leader has a, the responsibility to, to synthesize that, to send it back out again, and to be open with the community. So I do agree with you. It does create the opportunity for strengthening community. And we saw, you know, during different parts of the uh, pandemic, people talking about how we're in this together and different ways of coming together to respond to a collective crisis. One of the primary calls we were receiving early in 2020 was, should I still fundraise? The advice was yes. And of course, in 2020, Giving USA revealed there was a record amount of charitable giving, even after adjusting for inflation. And of course, the seven and eight figure gifts get all the headlines. But when the hurricane hits a town, when a fire hits a region of a state, when there's a flood, uh, somewhere in the United States or around the world, a community is also manifested in the way people are grabbing those phones and sending in that $10 donation, that $100 donation, and there's a huge volume of those that results along with those seven and eight figure gifts that result in those large fundraising totals that we hear. And uh, Amir, it's just another way that fundraisers can uh, not just be you know, concerned as they should be during a time of crisis, but also see fundraising possibilities. Absolutely. And I think, you know, to your point about people helping each other out, we saw that, you know, along with these smaller gifts that people were making to support their communities, we saw an upsurge in, in, in mutual aid, people helping their neighbors, people delivering food for their neighbors who were more elderly and more vulnerable to the virus. So we, we did see a, a resurgence of and now a greater consciousness of this kind of mutual aid, a mutual support that may come with small dollars, but it may just come with kind of non-financial uh, communal helping behavior which is that broader understanding of philanthropy that we teach at the Indiana University School of Philanthropy. Uh, Dr. Amir Pasek also serves on the Ethics Committee of the Association of Fundraising Professionals. And Amir, I know when you teach us about fundraising in challenging times, you also wanna make sure we're aware of the ethical implications of that particular season. What do fundraisers need to know? Well, I think one of the dangers is to think that, you know, there's an emergency and, you know, we throw the ethics out of the door because we're just rushing to, to survive and to do what's happening. But as we mentioned at the beginning with the notion of, you know, reclaiming your understanding of what your ultimate purpose is, you know, ethics is not simply 
a set of rules that prohibit you from going across certain guidelines. The ethics are ultimately what determine the purpose of your profession and why you're there to serve people or why you're there to declare yourself as having some kind of special competence uh, or being a profession at all. So it is an opportunity to revisit what your ethics are and because that reaffirms what you're there for and you know what is the value that you bring. And what that can happen in the crisis that is as profound as the pandemic, which whose consequences we are still feeling today in many ways in terms of the, the economic dislocation and the international consequences of all of the, the, the social dynamics that were unleashed by the pandemic. It, it leads us to question, you know, do are our ethics uh, continue to be relevant for what we're doing? And so the ethics committee, you know, is looking at, you know, do, do the ethics adequately reflect our, our general concern with social inequality, some of those power relationships that we were talking about uh, at the beginning, you know, how do we deal with the reality that there are people who are, you know, quite powerful and wealthy whose donations that we need, and yet our services ultimately to the populations that are in some kind of a crisis that we serve. And so how do we square that circle and be more conscious about making sure that those principles that we articulate and publish on the website that represents a key aspect of our profession, how do we make sure that those are currently relevant and do reflect what we have learned about ourselves and our profession given this hundred year crisis that we have just gone through? And certainly when a crisis ends, we when that's over, we plan, let's try to prepare, should ever, that ever happen again? Uh, the same thing is with ethics. We're applying our ethics during the crisis, but also then what updates are needed? What revisions are needed? What do we learn from that crisis to make sure that our ethical guidelines remain relevant now and into the future? Fundraising in Challenging Times is Chapter 7 of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition published in the year 2022. Uh, and that book is available on our website at philanthropy.iui. Edu. And I also need to say, these are the types of discussions that we have in our academic programs at the Indiana University, Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, especially in our master's degree program and in our doctoral degree programs. And you'll find information if you're ready for that next step in your academic journey. You can learn about our master's and both of our doctoral degrees at philanthropy.iui.edu. Now, this textbook is infusing the content, the research evidence-based content of the fundraising school more than ever before. Our public courses, which are in person in more and more cities across the United States, and now robustly online, both with live courses and recorded courses, synchronous and asynchronous, in the United States, and of course, accessible around the world. We can tailor courses specifically for your nonprofit, your association, your region, uh, again, in the United States and around the world. We have quarterly webinars and, of course, these free weekly podcasts at philanthropy.iupui.edu. Throw on a forward slash and the fundraising school comes straight to the fundraising school's resources. Our producers today are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. Our guests today, Dr. Amir Pasek, Dean of the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. I'm Bill Stanjakevich. And now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm-hmm.